risk. Risk is our business. That's what the starship is all about. That's why we're aboard her. Engage. There are three things to remember about being a starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in, go down with the ship, and never abandon a member of your crew. I don't care if the odds are against us. If we're going to lose, then we're going to go down fighting. But we're going to learn from those mistakes. That's what being human is all about. What a piece of work is man. It is a tale told by an idiot. Make it so. Hello, Internet, and welcome to the Boldly Going Podcast, a podcast where three guys talk about every episode of Star Trek that's ever been made. I'm your host, Alec. I'm Bailey. And I wish I wasn't here. <laughs> yes, folks. We watched Charlie X this week. And uh, let me tell you, the r slash nice guys, the episode, was a bit of a roller coaster. Every time we sit down to do these podcasts, I personally have a grade that's already been put on my sheet. And as the other guys will tell you, I don't have one yet. Because what? <laughs> Let's... Let's start with some. With Let's some, start with positives. The preview. Yes. The preview was pretty okay because well, ultimately yeah. it didn't give a lot away. Well, it didn't have much to work with. So, <laughs> well, you know, you got to work with what you've got. And, well, and, and, other <laughs> other other positives. Spock defeats a child at chess in two moves using all his skill and doesn't hold back. It's delightful. I mean, it's okay because trust me, guys, the child is a dick. <laughs> But it's still funny to watch like an adult chess like grandmaster play a child and yeah. two move them and be like sucker and walk out. What I find curious is the start of this episode. It's either great or not great because it goes past a lot of the setting. It doesn't have much in the way of an opening scene. It really is just this guy gets beamed up well, and the story starts. Maybe I can shed some light on some of that, some of the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Because this episode aired the fifteenth of September, nineteen sixty six. It was the eighth episode produced, but it was the second episode aired. So you get Man Trap, which is a great episode. Then you get this pile of garbage. The teleplay was by DC Fontana. Now, DC Fontana is going to go on to write a bunch of great episodes. So when I saw her name connected to this, I was really excited. But I forgot that DC Fontana had been Gene Roddenberry's secretary up to this point. So, like, you know, you got to start somewhere. She was the story editor as well. So this first crack, not great, but again, it's not, you know, it's where you're starting. And the story came from Gene Roddenberry, so he gets a credit for it, even though his story credit is a one-sentence description of the idea for an episode called When Charlie Became God. But that's And so this is really D.C. Fontana's story, but he still gets a credit for it. It is directed by Lawrence Dobkin, who is only directs this episode, but 25 years later... He's going to guest star as the Klingon ambassador Kel in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, which makes him literally the only person in history to direct an episode of the original series and then later play an actor in a Star Trek spinoff. This is the first of six episodes that take place entirely aboard the Enterprise. The others, in case you're wondering, are The Changeling, Journey to Babel, Alana of Troyes, Is There No Truth in Beauty, and Let This Be Your Last Battlefield. And that's a bit of a mixed bag, in case you're wondering, because Journey to Babel is great. Let There Be Your Last Battlefield is a heavy-handed message about racism, but not terrible. Alana of Troyes is hot garbage. 
I don't remember anything about Is There No Truth in Beauty other than a young actress who's going to go on to play Dr. Pulaski on TNG appears on it. And I literally can't tell you what the changeling is about off the top of my head. So Charlie X falls in that proud category of ship bottle episodes exclusively of which only Journey of Babel will rise out of. But here's the thing. See, this episode was originally scheduled to air much later because it had action and some ideas. But when they realized it required no new outer special effects space shots because all the Enterprise exterior shots are from the first two pilots. They're recycled. Mm. And it cost almost no effects. It's post-production took less time. They rushed it to be the second episode to air out of necessity because no other episodes were ready to reach the deadline. So the Antares destruction was supposed to be on screen, some stuff like that. But all of that got cut to make way for the production. NBC hated that it was a teenage melodrama set in space, but they had to go forward with it. Can't say they're wrong. The one good thing that came out of this episode, though, is Iris Steve Bear, who is going to go on to become the showrunner of Deep Space Nine, which is my favorite Star Trek, said this was the episode of the show that won him over, which I don't understand why the man who could go on to create the best Star Trek could like such a pile of trash. But, you know, I don't care what his reasons were because I love what Iris Steve Bear did, so I'm glad Charlie X exists. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Not because of the episode itself. Yep. Yeah. So, well, where do we start? Let's start with the. I mean, let's start with every gar- like every garbage fire you start with. You start at the beginning. As Ethan pointed out, there is no real opening. They just pull up to the ship, and Kirk says, yeah. uh, "We're picking up this kid from the Antares." I don't know why Kirk is Brooklyn no more. Kirk says, it's "Captain's log. They're picking up from the cargo ship Antares, the survivor of a planet." the heck was the name of the planet? I can't even remember. Also, don't care. Doesn't matter. Charlie was the survivor of some planet. Thacia, I think. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Thessia is the Asari homeworld from Mass Effect, but I can remember that, so I'm just going to call it Thessia. So Charlie's from not Thessia. He's a human, and Crash lived on there when he was three, and he's lived on his own ever since until these yeah. traitors found him, and they're bringing him back to Earth Colony Alpha 5, where Evan's only living relatives live. So they bring him on board in a scene that is a little awkward and in a way sets the tone and you think this isn't very well kind of set or acted. But then I don't actually have a lot of problems with this opening scene because once you understand why the crew is so desperate to get away from Charlie, they're like, yeah, he's a great kid. Man, I don't have time for entertainment tapes or sorry and Brandy. We, we're on a tight schedule, Cap Kirk. We got to go have tra- Charlie. You were great. I'm so happy to have you aboard, my dude. But, I actually find it like... It was actually kind of creepy because the rest of the episode didn't happen yet, you know? Because, like, you didn't know what was going on. So it was a little creepy in a way, which kind of worked. Yeah. But if they would have kept, like, the creepy tone, it would have worked a whole lot so better. So almost, like, turn this into a pseudo-horror episode yeah, in a way. Yeah, I think that would have worked it a lot better. It would have really worked because I... Let's... You know what? Let's, let's get this out of the gate right at the beginning. Are we supposed to sympathize with Charlie? I think... No. I honestly don't. I think that they want us to understand him, but not sympathize with him. And I do... Like, I I feel very strongly that if they were going for that, they did a good job. Because I... I, Knowledge-wise, I do understand why he turned out the way he did. Yeah. The isolation from a young age. It makes sense. It's a case of... Regardless of circumstance, there's still some fundamental truths about interaction that just because situations happen doesn't excuse them. And, and that's a hard 
topic to, to sort of broach and yeah. discuss in a way that's going to turn into good science fiction. Because I was going to say no, but then right at the end, Kirk is like, well, why don't we take him with us so that he can learn not to use his powers and his alien dad, who he doesn't love because he's a floating... We're getting way ahead. This isn't how we normally do episodes, but we got to get this out of the game yeah. right away. I think, I think they got confused on what they wanted. Hmm. Because... Like you said right off the bat, you can we can understand why he is acting so antisocial yep. in general because of his isolation from a completely young age. But then they directly go into this almost like sympathy overload. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just a weird. Uh, I think you hit yeah. actually closer to it when you said they sort of lost track of what they were trying to convey. Because at the beginning, I was more convinced when he just came on and they give him medical approval and says, yeah. the other ship, yeah. they didn't like me. I want people to like me. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's a little more relatable because not feeling yeah. like you belong is a pretty general, understandable thing. And at the beginning, he makes honest mistakes that a partless in an isolation would make. Like when he smacks Janice on the butt right at the beginning, and then he's immediately, she's upset by that, and he's like upset that she's upset. And and he's he's like, but he only why, did yeah. it because the two crewmen did exactly. it before. Yeah. But then partway through, they transfer the idea of what's going on to he wants to essentially dominate women. Like, And yeah. I don't usually go there quickly, but that's yeah. pretty fast where the episode yeah. jumps he to. He blinks like... An adorable, like, 17-year-old triple junior yeoman who's, like, clearly, like, a high school intern who's all, like, bubbly and excited to be there. He turns her into a lizard for no reason, <laughs> only because she's not Janice. And we're like, Tina, Tina. So She's, I, like, 17. No, we know she's 17 because Janice I, said you should meet other people your own age. Just think about how traumatized she's going to be after this. Yeah. Like, I, I think, feel so bad. It, it's just this idea of losing track of what is originally a more neutral... Yeah. understandable concept absolutely and transforming it into the cringy i really want to be loved and to, to be assertive and be the be that guy this could have worked as a horror it episode. yeah as a horror episode where yeah. they didn't get muddled for those of you at home who are not into, who haven't watched charlie x in a while or have scrubbed it for your brains okay think about tng think about q think about q but without any of the charisma charm or talent and to be fair i have no problem with the actor uh robert walker yeah. Uh, DC Fontana and Grace Lee Whitney both said he did a pretty good job, and I'm like, yeah, sure, I thought he did a great job. So getting that out of the way, you've got mm. Q, but he's a he's a 17-year-old boy, yeah. but he's yeah. also more emotionally and intellectually like five or six. Yeah. Yes, he's a toddler in a, bo- in a body. He's Kirk a toddler in a boy as a teenager who's being an adult in that body, and I'm like, that is no. not correct. He is, he is a toddler using this, this yeah. body and these powers. He's got all the powers of Q... But instead of being, like, kind of quirky and goofy because he's an adult who has, like, a degree of understanding, he's kind of horrifying and not very likable at all. Yeah. So nothing like Q. And for the record, Charlie is not a Q. He's a Thassian or whatever. They, they yeah. gave him the power, which, by the way, good job, aliens. But we are so off topic. But our brains are melted because we literally <laughs> just watched this episode as a group, like, ten minutes yeah. ago. And we're trying to figure out... What we just saw. Yeah, but, but I, I, can, it has nothing to do with the acting. I think it all yeah. has to do with the writing. I would agree with that 100%. Sorry, DC. I know you're going to go on to write Journey to Babel and a couple of my other favorite episodes. You know what? Nobody's perfect for your first try, but this is not good work. Don't put this on your highlight reel. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we? We were... Okay. <laughs> they, they're dropping Charlie off on the Enterprise. The navigator and the first officer of the Antares. They can't... 
say enough good things about Charlie the boy, and they want to get out of here. Kirk offers them entertainment tapes. I Anything. don't know what that is. But he that offers them pretty so much. He even offers them sorry and brandy, and they're like in a hurry to get there. Janice comes in, and we're all excited to see Janice again. Yeah. Charlie, who's been interrupting, and at first you think it's just he doesn't know social graces. It's an early clue because it's a it's one of those harmless things where he keeps interrupting people. And curses, you know, Charlie, you don't interrupt people. That's rude. And he goes, oh, okay. Yeah. Janice comes in and he looks at her all dumbfounded because he's been by himself. And we assume the Antares are all men because it's only a twenty-person crew. <laughs> and uh, he goes, "Is that a girl?" Kirk nods and gives a little sly smirk. He's like, "Yes, Charlie." That's Kirk a girl. was weird in this episode. Yeah. I'm just I, gonna say it. Kirk I'm was half weird. surprised Kirk didn't go, "No, Charlie, that's a woman." <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, especially. It's a weird. Yeah. It's weird if you watch some of the episodes. Like last week, we watched Naked Time, so that's a little fresh in our minds. Where Kirk is dignified, dignified, and he's and Kirk likes Janice, but he can't. He respects her, but he also and also he has his office. And this one, he's like, yeah, she's a girl, all right, Charlie. She's a fine-looking girl. It doesn't say any of that, but his tone. But this is yeah. what people remember when they think of Kirk. Grace like, Lee. This is what they're thinking of. Whitney continues yeah. to be the best though, because she gives us like expression of just like where the heck do you find these guys like kind of this double i, I can do it but it doesn't work over it's a great facial expression yeah it's one of the saving graces of the episode so they two of them leave and charlie goes to see dr mccoy they go on the stairmaster yay uh, see the stair i love that stair in, in a while mccoy re reiterates that charlie's been alone since he was three years old living on the planet he asks him about what he would eat Says, you know, the supply rations would have run out. They wouldn't have lasted 14 years. Charlie's very non-committal. He's like, you know, I found stuff and things growing. And McCoy's like, oh, it makes sense to me. You know, you're totally healthy. You, you totally check out. You're a fine, healthy young man. And Charlie kicks off what's going to be the running theme kind of in this episode. We ask McCoy if McCoy likes him. Mm -hmm. And McCoy gives the most McCoy answer. Everybody goes, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Leonard H. Bones McCoy is one of the few lights in this dark episode. Ooh, he's the father figure that uh, Charlie needed. Uh, yeah. Too bad. Kirk tried, no, to pawn, Kirk tried to pawn Charlie off on Bones. Uh. So... Charlie leaves sick bay. He's got nothing to do. He just kind of wanders around. He sees a janitor working in a tube, and he's always he's fascinated. About that. Which so is actually him. neat. I was actually okay with that shot. Yeah, it showed him like trying yeah. to understand the crew, not trying to corner Janice. And I'm like, every time I dealt with the crew, it was good. I would have liked it if there was a bit more conversation in the long shot because mm. it was so long. <laughs> just like at least just like 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 the janitor being like, okay, <laughs> like you know, anything. <laughs> The scene is a little just, long, yeah. and that's something you're going to notice, is there's a lot of really... There's a couple of scenes that go on for way too long, and it's clear that the idea was like 45 minutes long rather than... Heck, let's say 40 minutes long rather than 50 minutes long, because there's another scene that Charlie's all in crew around. He sees two guys working in the janitorial... Not in the janitorial, in the Jeffrey's tubes... And they're like, hey, man, great job. And the one dude smacks the other dude on the butt because it was the 60s. And, like, whatever, man, it's your mate. It's what you do. It's like a football football team. Yeah, yeah. Sports ball. Getting horribly off track. This, this is what this episode has yeah, done to us, folks. Yeah, it's... it's broken our brains, which is funny because I'll be honest with you. I don't really remember this episode 
like, to me, it was going to be like, uh, when I got into this, I'm thinking, here's like a C, you know, it's going to be totally average, it, it's totally <laughs> unmemorable. Turns out what I did was blot my brain out and delete the memories of Charlie. I'm not going to remember this episode tomorrow. I'm not going to remember it tomorrow. Are you kidding me? I'll never be able to forget this episode. No, it'll just terrible this. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll all be forgotten and we can go back to rewatching. Folks, if you've been watching along with the podcast, just watch Man Trap twice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or watch The Naked Time twice. Go back and rewatch the pilot. Yeah. You know, Gary Mitchell was a yeah. godlike being, too. And we rage on him for being a douchebag, but it turns out we were so wrong. <laughs> uh, anyways, back to things. At least it seems that the crew, um, or rather the bridge crew, they have their heads on pretty okay. They realize yeah. he needs a father yeah. figure. They essentially appoint Kirk to do so, even Kirk though Kirk does his pass best. Off on to pass it off on both. And talks the birds and the bees with them. Yeah. You know, we're, 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 we're getting but, there. But Spock mentions the Thasians. Again. And that's sort of going to be a recurring feature of, like, are they really mythical beings? And that's sort of, like, your clue for the episode yeah. of, like... It's, you got something it's interesting to me, though, as an aside, because let's not talk about this episode. Let's talk about <laughs> Spock and McCoy. You'd think that McCoy would be the one who'd be like, mythical aliens, maybe they could be real. And Spock's like, well, the evidence doesn't support that. But it's actually the other way around yeah, yeah. in this episode. Now, before Spock believes the Thasians must be real because he doesn't think that Charlie would be able to survive on his own as a kid. Yeah. And that kind of makes sense from where Spock's yeah. coming from. Whether they're like that or not, he's, he's not ready to commit to the idea of that until later in the episode when Charlie begins to demonstrate the abilities because... A human being could just learn to do what they do. He could just create. Because you see, the next scene with Charlie is he's talking to Janice, who he's got a big old crush on, and he makes her like a thing. I missed the line. Where it was his perfume. Oh, he makes her a perfume, and she really likes it. And she's like, oh, it's my favorite. Where'd it come from? Because Janice knows that no one on the ship, none of the ship stores, which, as an aside, I like the idea that the Enterprise's got like a gift shop or something yeah. on it. Mm -hmm. It's got little t-shirts, and you can buy <laughs> I guess it's more like a canteen around a mess, but yeah. she says they don't carry it. He says, where'd it come from? Oh, it's it's a gift. It's, it's a present. And so already we're don't establishing that. that Charlie's not just weird. Like, he can do stuff, but we're not sure the extent of his power. Yeah. And so Janice is kind of trying to be nice to him and kind of trying to break it because she's literally, like, just met him once and she doesn't realize that he's being a total creep. Yeah. yeah. And so she's like, why don't you come hang out for a little bit? And we now, when we see the rec room, we know it's a bit public space. So she's, yes. She's, Janice is continuing to be incredibly competent. Yep. Yes. So he's like, okay, Janice. I'll, he says, okay, friend. He smacks Janice on the butt. Janice doesn't like that very much. She gets yeah. pretty upset. I don't blame her. It's also the where I think that the show goes a little off the rails because yeah. it's where they turned that idea of social awkwardness into sexual awkwardness. And I think that that's where it started. Like, if they had just yeah. done that one thing, but moved on to a different form of social awkwardness, it would have fit well in a broad spectrum of, yeah, I can see that. here's how, here's just all of the ways it's manifesting that he hasn't met people. Whereas it sort of took that and was like, yeah, that's the one we want to go with for the rest of the It episode. is. They focus on the idea that he's, like, in love with Janice. Not in love with her, because as Janice points Obsessed. out later, he's yeah. like, you don't know what love means. But he's like a teenage boy, and he's got he's popped his first one. And he's obsessed with this this yeah. older woman. That well, is, yeah, it, it's more of like a the, the 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 lust or the sexual desire taking hold. Exactly, mm -hmm. because again, he's not only an adolescent boy, so he's got those hormones, but he's also like a taught like he's like mentally like a child. So he has the so he's got even less capability to deal with these 
than a regular teenager. And that's mm-hmm. not yeah. saying much, but that happens, and she gets rightfully upset with him, but then he also gets upset back because he doesn't know what he did wrong, and she says, well, have Dr. Kirk, have Dr. McCoy, or Dr. Kirk, man, like, I'm telling you, I my brain is broken. She's like, have Dr. McCoy or Captain Kirk explain it to you that you can't go around smacking girls. And he goes, okay, that makes sense, because he wants to be liked. Yep. Yeah. What happens after that? <laughs> then we go over to the mess hall. It actually yes! does skip to them going to the mess hall, and we have an Does interesting Kirk, scene. Kirk doesn't talk. Kirk doesn't talk to him first. No, he, he gets the dad talk from Kirk a little later. Because he gets a dad sure. talk from Kirk like twice. Okay. Then no, no, the first one you're right. Good. He goes to see the chef because it's Thanksgiving. Yep. This yeah. is literally in the episode. He says it's Thanksgiving, and the crew is going to eat synthetic meatloaf, which should taste like turkey. Which I'm surprised <laughs> that they still observe Thanksgiving. Why? Given that it's like specifically North American, I not guess. like global. But like, I, I, hey, whatever. What's like, more surprising to me is that they can replicate meatloaf, but not turkey. Yeah, yeah like, so that's that seems weird. a little arbitrary. It's the early years <laughs> of the transporter technology uh, okay. that they read the replicator. Yeah. And then Kirk has this really bad, like, really because Charlie's like Janice told me to talk to you that I. He tries to explain it. He stirs his way through it. Kirk's like, well, Charlie, there's you can't uh, go around hitting girls in the butt. Basically, like he said, <laughs> yeah. it takes him like five minutes to get yeah, to the but point. He, like, yeah, he also like well, tries to women like a different. yeah, like a weird birds in <laughs> the trash to purge the beast. Yeah, Bad. it's just like oh, it's oh. it's something. It's Kirk does a weirdly terrible job at something you think would be pretty basic. Like, I get Kirk is not a father, yeah, but it's I don't understand. I don't. It seems out of character for me, and we've discussed extensively on this program at this point how Kirk is not like this lust maniac that everyone thinks he is. Yeah. But he is a grown man. You think he'd be able to say, "Well, Charlie, you know, men and women are different, and you know, when you're attracted to a woman, you do things, but you don't act on them. You know, it's not appropriate." You think he'd be able to stumble? Like, I mean, it might not be comfortable, but I mean, I could probably do the birds and the bees with a kid. It's not that hard. Yeah. But anyway, the fearless leader of the Enterprise. Tries to get the talk through to Charlie, and it did. Doesn't go no, great. It doesn't go great. And then we get that other yeah, scene. Yeah, we go yeah, to the mess. The the rec room. All yeah. probably the only truly good scene in the episode. I didn't like I mean, the singing, but I appreciate what it half. was doing. Yeah, I mean the first half before right. Charlie gets involved. because uh. Spock is playing his Vulcan lute. It's the first appearance of the Vulcan lute, which is another one of those iconic things. 3D tic tac toe is back. Uh, we're not sure if it's 3D checkers anymore, looking closely, but I swear to you, I read that on Memory Alpha that it was 3D tic-tac-toe, and I'm going to stick with that. Well, stick to your guns, man. 3D if you're tic-tac- going to be wrong, be spectacular. 3D wrong. tic-tac-toe is back, and the circular playing cards are back, because once again, just like Mud's Women, the only redeeming feature in terrible episodes is those circular playing cards, I just adore. <laughs> Uhura is, is farting around in the break room, and she starts... And she's just kind of musically inclined. And as an aside, they rewrote uh, this segment for Nichelle Nikos because originally they were going to have Ahura as a mimic doing uh, parodies of her fellow officers for the uh, amusement of the Lower Bridge crew. I surprisingly would have personally enjoyed that more, but I like what they did, even if I didn't like the actual singing. Like, I don't know, yeah. it just doesn't suit my style. But I like that they gave her that chance to do it, and sing-teasing Spock was hilarious. Spock even like, was very <laughs> bemused, bemused in his own yeah, way. Because yeah, yeah. uh, Nichelle Nichols is, of course, like a trained, I think, like jazz singer or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So they you gave it tell. to her, so she's like... So even if it's not your cup of tea, you can appreciate it from yeah. a technical level that it is her and she's competent at it. Yeah. She sings kind of this ditty about how Spock looks like Satan. <laughs> <laughs> and about how, like, careful girls, like, the devil from the stars is going to come and steal your heart. <laughs> totally, like, lampshading the entire, like, Star yeah. Trek fan community of, like, 1966 because, like, chicks were thirsty for Spock. Yep. 
Well, I don't blame Leonard him with Neil- that tight shirt. <laughs> We're still <laughs> moving on. His, his massive bicep for the last episode. So they sing a little ditty, but again, I talk about how the episode feels like it has like a lot of filler. Yeah. The yeah, sequence yeah. goes on for too long. Not necessarily this first part, although I think it goes on a little too long. But then Charlie comes in, and he wants to show Janice a <sighs> card trick. But Janice is like, in a minute, I'm listening to Uhura roast Spock. And, and then even worse, Uhura switches to sing-teasing Charlie. About how he's got a crush on Janice. It's not very smart. Over great. Janice is like, oh, Janice right. is a little uncomfortable, but she's like, whatever. And so Charlie, in his kind of second display of like power, but the first time we've seen him, he, make, he steals the sound from yep. the loot and... From Uhura's voice, and this is the first time we see Charlie roll his the eyes, crazy eyes oh, into man, his I head. Deal with that. And they always play the series musical sting, and it and zoom in. <laughs> it undercuts so much tension. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you guys this right now, and I know you're gonna agree with me. I don't even have to pull you, but would it have been more effective if he just looked blankly ahead and not made a ridiculous facial expression? It depends on if they're trying to create mystery. Because if they're trying to like show that he has to concentrate to do it, sure. But I don't think I have this particular preference either way. Because, well, I'll just say that at the very least, the one that is there looks stupid. Maybe he could have closed his eyes and like our oldest. Yeah, so something a little less. I sh- they needed to go ridiculous. back to the drawing board because yeah. that expression is terrible. That was bad. It makes it amusing though. It's- uh, <laughs> Clo- it, all like if he, you're right, because showing that he needs to concentrate is an important plot point. Yeah. yeah. So I think he should have just closed his eyes and. I mean, up. it made it. It might have, might have looked like he was had to take a poop, like the telepathic <laughs> yeah. aliens. And, and he doesn't there. And he just <laughs> looks like he's having a real bad one. So he takes the voice away from Ahura and Spock, and then immediately shows Janice a card trick. And apparently, Janice doesn't notice that like Ahura and Spock are freaking out about how there's no noise coming, and apparently nobody else is either. <laughs> yeah, no one Charlie, and I'm gonna assume Charlie is cheating at his card tricks. Oh, you better way. believe it. Oh. He turns the cards into promotional stills of Janice Rand from like the early Star Trek launch bay, and she's like, "Where'd you get those pictures?" Like, well, no, she says, "How did you do that?" She's and not immediately terrified. Yeah, like, how did you get these pictures of me? <laughs> yeah, well, which is what I would have asked yeah. personally. Yeah. And then. Oh, it's like, okay, I understand you're continuing to spread the thing and he's got a crush on her and he's got powers. The scene should have ended there. Yeah. The scene should have ended with the trick where he turned the cards into pictures of her because then it propels the plot. Yeah. But it doesn't end here, folks. It goes on for another two minutes where he just does a bunch of actual card tricks. And ah. everyone gathers around and is like, ooh, ah, impressive. And then there's the one he gets right. in her bra, which is sort of like, again, they're pushing that. But we've already... Central side of yeah. things. But they're just regular card tricks. Like... <laughs> The other one, it's like, oh, he had to use a supernatural power to change the cards. made it look like her. Okay, okay, I get it. You're doing, oh, very clever. And then it's like, nope, two minutes of regular card tricks, because this script was like 35 minutes long. Yeah. Ugh. Where am I? (laughs) You're at the second dad talking, Kirk. Right. Right, because Tina... Oh wait, and then right? No, right? T- Tina. Tina comes. Tina comes. This, this, no, Tina comes this later. Show, this episode just messed us up. Tina <laughs> so. comes later because now Kirk is asked to come up to the bridge. Mm-hmm. Oh, he gets yeah. up to the bridge, yeah. and the captain of the Antares at extreme range is trying to warn them. Charlie went up to the bridge with Kirk. Yes. Kirk's like, "Don't come to the bridge, Charlie." He's like, "I won't get in the way." And Kirk hasn't seen any of Charlie's creepy behavior. So he's just like, yeah, "And he's like, okay, fine. You know, you're a curious kid. Whatever. You know, points for good behavior. You let Charlie come up." 
The captain at the Antares tries to warn them about something, but then his ship gets destroyed. We don't see it on screen to save budgetary money. And Charlie, instead of playing it cool and not saying anything, because Charlie is inept, says, Well, it wasn't very well constructed. Which is what he says before Spock even confirms that the ship is destroyed. Because Spock is like, yep, debris from the Antares. But he's like, Charlie, you know something? Charlie goes, I don't know. And then <laughs> Kirk gets hailed by the Enterprise chef, which is, again, one of the only decent things in this whole episode, because the chef is voiced by Gene Roddenberry himself. And this is literally the only time in Star Trek history that Gene Roddenberry will like be involved not even on screen, but in any capacity. Gene doesn't do cameos. He's not like Stan Lee or Stephen King or one of those guys. But he does this little sequence. You're like, oh, that's kind of – that's a cute little trivia yeah, piece. Because yeah, yeah. the chef is like, hey, Kirk, those meatloafs have turned into live turkeys in the oven, man. And Charlie laughs and then leaves. <laughs> and then Kirk's like, wow, man, that was weird. So this show that this is the same scene. This is a tonal mess because the first half of the scene, a tonal mess, folks, because the first half of the scene is to establish that it's kind of scary because we're pretty sure Charlie killed twenty people. Okay, again, it would have worked if it, this was like a space horror. In the same scene, literally seconds after Spock has confirmed that the ship blew up. And Kirk is trying to get Charlie to admit that he blew it up. We get this joke call about how, like, the meatloaf was real turkeys, because Charlie heard Kirk talk about how the meatloaf should taste like turkey because it's Thanksgiving. And then Charlie laughs, and Kirk's like, what the heck? Meatloaf doesn't turn into turkeys. <sighs> what a mess! <laughs> I can't believe how much I, I didn't think I would get more passionate about an episode being bad than Mud's Women, but, like... Mud's women looks like Citizen Kane next to some of this crap. The more we talk about it, the yeah. more this is going downhill. It actually is. I I'm actually was gonna rate. I was gonna rate this episode higher than Mud's women, and I think I've changed my own mind. Because <laughs> Mud's women, some of those scenes were terrible, but but they were at least coherent with their own tone. Yeah. Oh man, that happens. Anyways, where were we again? We have the only other good scene in the episode, which is again cut way too short. Kirk and Spock play chess together again, yeah. like they did in the pilot, but now both characters are actually like themselves. Fully formed. So, Well, Kirk is a little bit weird. This scene that. should have been in a better episode. They could have, yeah, t instead yeah. of having the time travel from the end of Naked Time, just have Spock Kirk play chess at the end of Naked Time for two yeah. minutes and talk yeah. about hmm, emotions and stuff. Am I right, my dude? Yep. Yeah. The point is, Spock is talking to Kirk, and he's like, look, Kirk, like, Charlie is a threat, and we should probably be careful that he doesn't kill everyone. And Kirk's like, ah, oh, he's just a kid. Spock's like, no, he's very dangerous. <laughs> you could say Kirk's blinded because he's got that emotion where he's like, oh, he's just a kid. And, you know, what, what's he going to do? And Spock's like, uh, he blew up that ship, Kirk. <laughs> Didn't you hear him? Charlie comes in to watch them play, and Spock is beaten by Kirk in an illogical manner because Kirk plays chess like he runs a ship. By his instinct, and Spock's like, well, sometimes it has its advantages. It's a neat little scene, a yeah, nice yeah. little interaction between the characters. But then... Charlie's like, can I play? And Kirk's like, sure, I leave you in the hands of chess master Spock. Spock's like, please don't, please, please don't. <laughs> Spock doesn't want to be left alone with the murderer. Except maybe he does, because he wants to confirm his own suspicions. Yeah. yeah. But that's the thing about Spock, like, you never know how cool Yeah, you can be. never tell, because if he didn't want to be alone with the murderer, you'd be surprised by his next move, which is to absolutely <laughs> disrespect the <laughs> 
boy. I love it so much. It's one of the best parts of the episode because we've established many times by now that Charlie is basically a child and Spock is a chess grandmaster. And Charlie very rudely is like, I know how to play. Let's just start. Yeah. And Spock makes his first move. Which is, like, it's funny because we, we know that Spock is essentially their, their chess grandmaster and yet the only two times we've seen Kirk play him Kirk is one. It's kind of like, though, like a pro playing video games on, like, a pro circuit who then yeah. plays against a total noob, and then the total noob yeah, wins because are, he does something that... that you are meant to understand do. that Kirk is not a regular winner of these things, Yeah, and yet it's just funny that the two examples we have are Kirk winning. Yeah. Anyways, back to the current match. Charlie, <laughs> Charlie, makes Charlie moves and Kirk's like, that's... Sorry, Spock's like, that's a mistake. Charlie goes, no, it's not. Spock goes, fine, checkmate. <laughs> <laughs> and then he leaves. Then he gets up and walks out of the room. Oh. And he can, like, this, to me, is a little bit inconsistent with Spock. Spock actually believes that he is a time bomb. Why would you disrespect him and then leave the room? Spock. Elbow drops. <laughs> He's like, Mike drops and walks out. Like, so, um, it's so, it's like, oh man. Anyway, that's hilarious. Charlie makes some crap about how no, it isn't, but Spock just walks off because he's done with this. Yeah. Charlie gets mad and melts the chess pieces because, again, Charlie is like a three year old. Yeah. So, after that scene, which, oh, then we have oh. Ensign Yeoman Rand is trying to, like, introduce Charlie. To people his own age, she introduces her to Yeoman Tina Lawton, who is like a third a class. And it's like, I'm going to say it like this, and I'm not being a creepy old man, so she seems like a cute young woman. Yeah. She's like a 17-year-old, like nice bubbly. I say it this way. I'd be proud and fine to have her as my daughter. Yeah, exactly. She's a lovely, lovely I'm girl. To, I'm, that's what I'm trying to prescribe. She seems like this, a perfectly sweet. And she's, it seems like she's even a little interested in it. Yeah. Like, Hi, Charlie. How are you doing? She's like a little crazy. Like, like, I, I, I bet she doesn't have a lot of people. I bet uh, probably Janice probably talked him up and was like, oh, yeah. he's, a, he's a nice kid. He's, he's a little weird, but he's a little quirky. And she's like, I'd like to meet a boy my age. I'm like 17. And uh, Charlie completely ignores her, which hurts her feelings. He just says, gives her a smile and doesn't talk to her. And then and she's just like, Rand oh. gets mad. He's like, that was really rude. Because I imagine that with Rand being like the senior yeoman and Lawton being like a yeoman, like third class, she's probably a little bit of like a mentor. Yeah. Like, yeah kind, that, of, kind of like a mentally motherly figure to this young woman. And she's like, I was really rude. Because she gets real upset. Yeah. yeah. He was rude to her. Then Rand goes like, he has this real creepy monologue, which... Seems like it was it, salvaged from when this was a horror because this yeah. actually works. Because it's really, really creepy. Very uncomfortable. Again, it's that R slash nice guys, but it, that R slash nice guy is not like a forty like a forty year old neckbeard. Like he's like a homicidal maniac with the powers <laughs> of a god. And he's talking about how no one's like you. No one smells like you. I'm hungry, hungry all over. over. Oh. And Janice oh. is <laughs> freaking out. It makes me like. It physically centipedes across my body. Oh it's yeah, like, oh. and it's it's gentlemen. Would this episode have been better if the whole tone was like that? Yes. Yeah. I actually would have because that made me uncomfortable, but it was also one of the only it, times that it really worked. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, it, it just it, it just goes into this like it makes Charlie a real villain and not like oh, there's some yakety sacks going on for the rest of it. That's for sure. So it's like this scene does work. Yes. Unfortunately, it doesn't work in a vacuum, and it's not supported in the overall context. But because then, once again, I saw in Bailey's notes, and it's like we gaslight Janice again. Yes. <laughs> because Rand 
who's very upset because of course Obviously. she is. We're upset. We're three grown men. <laughs> she brings it up with her captain, captain, who's supposed to be concerned for her, and Kirk's just who's like, smirking at her. He's like, come on, Janice. He's like, he's just, he's just a kid, he's Janice. Just a boy. But then there's a great line where Janice is like, oh more or less con- condensed down to, if Charlie doesn't chill, I'll have to hurt him. And <laughs> having come out of the enemy within and knowing that she actually gave evil Kirk like quite a, the beating. Yeah. <laughs> she scratched him up real bad. Yeah, that's and, sort of what she's saying she's gonna have to do now. She, and, and you'd think Kirk would understand that. And then yeah. he's like, okay, it's when she says, look, if Charlie doesn't back off, like, I'm going to take matters in my own hands and protect myself. And Kirk's like, okay, I'll talk to him. Okay, but then... But then he smirks after her. Okay, but also, like... Like, she, he's like, Janice, like, you could beat up this, like, Condescending girl. Kirk is not a good look for this captain. I just realized, though, she just says, like, I'll take it into my own hands and I will hurt him. Then Kirk takes him and does self-defense training. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my lord! Is he trying to protect Charlie from Janice? Uh, Probably Kirk? not. Probably not, but that's... I didn't even make that yeah. connection. Yeah, I just barely like, out. I was like, what? Folks, that's why you have three people on this <sighs> podcast. Because I did not think of that. I don't think you even thought of that. No. Bit. <laughs> so... Oh this God. is Dad Kirk being really bad at being a dad. Before yeah. Dad Kirk teaches his homicidal godson about self-defense, we have a scene in Kirk's quarters where Kirk really gives him the talk. And actually, Kirk has some decent lines in yeah. this scene that are in a vacuum. Again, it's like it's wasted in this episode. And it would have been better if it was written like the entire episode was written just better. <laughs> I'm sorry, DC. I feel really bad. Like I like Dragon Babel a lot. I don't. I haven't met his new film, his new new her, episodes. Her new yet, episodes. Her new episodes. See, there you go. That's how little I know about this person. So for this to be my first impression, exactly, you're gonna have to show me some better stuff. Charlie is talking about how it's like, well, I like her, and Kurt's like, yeah, well, tough, tough. That's yeah. life. And he says, "Well, what am I supposed to do?" He says, "You hang on, you know, hang on for dear life, and you'll live." He says, "You know, it's this problem that every man's been dealing with since the first model rolled out." And it's like, okay, but Kirk says, "There's a million things in this galaxy you can have, and a million you can't. That's the way it is. Tough luck, son. Just deal with it." Bahorek calls him about a course change, and I guess Charlie's not completely stupid. Yeah, yeah. Because Kirk, Kirk does his best to be like, "Oh yeah, let's talk to that." But you can kind of tell he's like, "Dang it, Aurora, like." We're trying to be subtle about this. <laughs> now, to be fair to her, she didn't know that Kirk was giving trouble to talk in his cabin. Yeah. And this is where we start. Getting Kirk into then takes him to the yeah. gymnasium, and that was kind of exciting because in the last episode we watched, Sulu wanted to take Riley to the gymnasium. We could have had that two minutes instead yeah. of time travel. We could have said, yes. seen Sulu in the gymnasium because we got some women doing some flips, and there's some guys like working out with machines. Not Star great Trek. machines. Men in tights. Real. Yeah. Oh man, those tights. We have our next Kurt, shirtless Kurt. Yep, what does yep. that bring our snub, bring our number up to? Well, we're plus one on three, so we're actually at four now. Four shirtless, four two shirtless. ripped shirts. Goodness. Yep. So Kirk has had a ripped shirt or been shirtless in every episode um, yeah, but one? Yeah, that's intense. Man, Shatner, Shatner got to get it in because in the last episode, Takei and Spock were like really buff. <laughs> everyone, on no, sh- everyone on the ship is buff. Even Nichelle Nikos has a six-pack. There's one episode where, like, yeah, Mirror Mirror, where you see it, you're like, wow, she'd been hitting that crunch machine. So they do some throws and some sparring. Kirk is like, hey, man, first you got to learn how to break a fall. To me, it's – I understand Kirk has been kind of almost off this episode, but this seems like the first smart Kirk decision all episode yeah, he's pretty because sure. he's like, yeah. okay, he's yeah. got sexual frustration issues. 
let's get him into a physical activity. Let's have him yeah. burn off some of that energy. Okay. The way that guys actually burn off their energy, mm-hmm. which is good. So he teaches Charlie how to fall. And there's another, there's a nice little touch with a guy working out in the room. His name is Sam. And Kirk's like, Sam, I want to practice you. And I do like how Kirk knows the names of yeah. all these people. Just yep. talk it was really cool. And Sam is in his, like, his sweats. So he's not wearing his name tag. Yeah. yeah. So Kirk just knows. It's like, okay, Sam. Kirk and Sam have a little throw. Um, Charlie tries to tussle with Kirk, but Kirk doesn't let him win, and he throws tough. And Charlie. he's honestly playing with him like a, a dad would play with their younger child. It's like he's letting him exert himself. He's not throwing him all over yeah. and, and just, like, slamming him. But John he's, he's letting, giving him a chance to work off that energy. And, yeah, he'll, he'll pin him in the end because he's trying to teach him, but he's also giving him that chance. I, I actually liked that moment. It was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Sam laughs at Charlie's yeah. failure, which is not necessarily smart, but whatever. That's the fatal and so mistake. Sam, he have known, right? And so Charlie blanks Sam out of existence. <laughs> right in front of Kirk. Now, to be fair, in this one, there's a fade-out effect. And I want to point yeah. this out because there's not a lot of consistency in a lot of the effects that in this episode. He sort of turns white and fades yeah. for this first instance of deletion. But he's going to delete more characters, folks. And they're not going to do that. And you might be thinking, well, why haven't you added Sam, poor Sam, rest in peace to the body count? Well, spoilers, folks, but who cares, because this episode is a mess. At the end of the episode, um, when Charlie's parents show up, they unblink all of the damage. So we can Except assume... for the Antares, which remains dead, but they aren't crew, so nobody cares. So we can assume that Sam gets to live, because later in this episode, Janice gets blinked out of existence for telling Charlie to jump off a cliff, basically, <laughs> or to soak his head. Janice continuing to be... Janice and Bones are like the shining lights of yeah. this so episode. So the Sass Masters are back. So, bless them both for trying their hardest. And I guess even Spock has got some good parts, because I do like that Spock's like, well, we might have to kill this kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, where was I? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. He blinks Sam out of existence, and Kirk rightfully freaks out, because up until this point, he's been assuming that Charlie's mostly harmless, and now you just watch a crewman get, like, thanos right out of existence before <laughs> your very eyes. And Kirk's like, don't do that, Charlie. He calls for security. Two security guards run in, and Charlie winks their phasers out of existence. Yes. And then later it turns out he's winked all the phasers out of existence across the entire ship. Which is actually sort of cool. I like that yeah. little touch. Yeah. It's actually because he doesn't have, like, full control over That's his That's what power this episode yet. is, folks. <clears throat> Us going, I like this little bit. This concept. Or I like nice. this one scene. Yeah. Or I like this one line. Absolutely. But it's buried underneath all this crap. It's like, <laughs> oh, goodness. Like, and and for me, Ethan doesn't agree with me, and I respect his, his difference and his opinion. But for always. me, Mud's women, in my personal opinion, was salvaged by Harry Mudd himself, which is a character I like. Charlie is not a likable character, and he's not supposed to be. Nope. He has none of that, like, charming mudness, if that's even a word. He's terrible. Yeah. And Star Trek is going to have tons of episodes about godlike aliens that the crew is horribly outmatched with. And they're all better than this. You could watch the pilot. You could watch... I mean, you could argue that Corbamite maneuver is kind of like that. Uh, this episode reminds me of Squire of Gothos a lot, which is coming up, which is basically the first Q episode before Q becomes a character. But that episode is good. <laughs> That's really all I could say about it. Like, that episode is good. The evil alien has some charm. He's got some power behind him. He's not like a adolescent kid. And even he, too, has got a bit of that, like, yeah, I like them ladies just fine, but he's also like an adult. It's a lot less creepy and weird. But again, I'm getting horribly off tra- track because we just don't really want to talk about this episode. <laughs> yeah. 
The security, but we commit to. That was our promise at the beginning. Every, every single episode. That includes Gray Matter. That includes Sub Rosa. That includes Spock's brain. That includes the empath. Oh, folks, so that includes Rosa. that includes like half a Voyager, folks. Like we believe in what we do. <sighs> and yet I find some joy in this shared misery. I'm glad we were all together to experience Absolutely. this train wreck. Anyway, there's this greatly lit scene. Yeah. So again, credit. Yes. I, I appreciate the direction. Dobkin did a good job because Charlie's eyes are lit and the rest of him is quite dark and it gives him a maniacal. Yeah, it again, really it's horror. Works. It's horror, Charlie. And not Charlie usually pans out okay. And Kirk has also got eye light, a lighting to show some contrast, but Kirk's general background is brighter. Yeah, like, there's focus on his eyes to kind of get that staring contest going, but Charlie is all in darkness except for his eyes. And credit where credit is due to Robert Walker, the actor who played Charlie, he's creeping as yeah, he's standing there yeah. in the dark, like, I won't let them hurt me. It's like, they're not going to hurt you. He's like, I'll make yeah. them. Because Kirk's Again, sending him to his quarters, because that's the kind of guy that Kirk is. <laughs> Again, the acting is good. It's the writing. <laughs> and Kirk's like, Charlie, if you don't go to your room, I'll pick you up and carry you there. Because Kirk doesn't care. He's already punched one god. He'll punch another. And, and Charlie does remind him that he could, in fact, delete him. But Kirk is nonetheless firm that the, the godlike being needs to go to his room. And thus, he does. Which is, you know, sort of neat, I guess. I like that Kirk He's is weird. not afraid of any of this. Anyway, he sends them back. And then they have another briefing. This is the weird briefing to me. It's very weird and it doesn't show off Kirk very well. Because... I get that Kirk is trying his best to reform this individual, but the excuses he makes for him are a little odd. Yeah. He's like, sure, he has short temper and no regard for human life, but what seventeen-year-old doesn't? No, to be fair, like, no, 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 to be fair, he doesn't. No, they haven't confirmed that the Antares has been blown up yet. True, but he's about to in this scene. Yes, because Spock asks if Charlie might be a Thasian, mm. like he might be an alien. And McCoy says, no, no, he's definitely he's definitely human. Mm. McCoy makes a comment about his finger and toe growth. Yep, which. I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a doctor. Nothing special, just there. <laughs> and what are we going to do? I don't know. <clears throat> Charlie enters the conference room then, and Kirk explicitly asks him, did you blow up the Antares? And Charlie goes, yeah, I blew it up. I made a warp battle plate, and the energy pile disappeared. And he DeForest goes, Kelly why? is really good in this scene, because McCoy is sitting there, and he looks like he's doing this stone face thing, but yeah. you can also tell he's like, holy crap, what? He says, they weren't nice to me, so I made them go away. And yeah. If you're not nice to me, I'll make you go away. And then he just leaves, and McCoy and Spock tells everyone, "Hey, we're in the hands of an adolescent." Because Spock treats Charlie like he's five, and he's correct to do so. Yes. So Charlie now has been revealed, and his powers are there. So he's like, "Whatever, I'm going to do whatever I want." And then there's this montage of him okay. being a dick to women. <laughs> just. Yeah. And I know it sounds like we're picking on that specifically because he does freeze the male crew members, but like but he he passes a rant a random woman we have not met. Just a, well, at first it's Tina. He yeah, meets he Tina. Poor Tina. Poor Tina. <laughs> what a lizard. He, he, Tina's done nothing to things. him. She even goes, "Hi, Charlie." He turns like, her into a lizard because she's not Janice. And then there's oh. the other girl that passes. Who oh, he hasn't even the yellow, met. The yellow. Um, he makes Janet. her an old lady. He makes yeah. her an old lady. And then there's the laughing people. Like no laughing. No laughing. And one of the crewmen, who's a woman, she comes staying. Her face has been. Disappeared in an effect that's way too effective for that era. Because I was like, "What her which, face?" Which would have worked if it was a horror. That's a horrifying thing to have your facial features just zapped away. 
And, and, and it re- it's revealed that it's not just among the halls that this is happening. He seems to be doing it in remotely in parts of the ship, because this part yeah. of the transition, it goes to the bridge, and Uhura's at her comm. And he, he zaps Uhura! He zaps Uhura for the comm. Uhura doesn't deserve to get zapped. Absolutely. Uhura doesn't deserve any of the crap, and neither does Janice, because that's where Charlie is going. He's going to go see Janice. And he's also taken over the entire ship. He's manually controlling it because Kirk and crew have tried to change course. And he's like, nope, we are going to the Colony 5. So he's locked down communications. He's locked out the ship. Nobody can do nothing. Ahura's got second degree burns now, for goodness sakes. But there's one person, one hero, who won't let Charlie get his way. It's Janice! <laughs> Janice is the MVP of this episode. Like she is in all episodes where Sulu is not present because Sulu <laughs> is the real MVP of all episodes. He goes to Janice's quarters and he gives her like he just barges in. Janice is in her uh, her pajamas, her little nightgown, and she's yeah. like, "You can't do this." <laughs> and he gives her a pink rose because she's like, "Pink's your favorite color, right?" And she does not care. So he tells her she she's like, "Get lost!" Like she tells him to leave. The he says, you, "You can't lock your door." I mean, she says, "I'll lock my door, whatever I want." And she's like. 500 IQ play here. She turns on the comm to the, uh... Yeah. It's brilliant! It was yeah. very smart. Because she turns the comm on subtly as as Charlie starts to get handsy with her and aggressive. It's like, poor poor Janice. Like, Seriously. Almost every appearance that she's in, someone tries to get handsy And, and she, her. like, honestly, her room is not a safe place. Like, how many times so far have we seen where she's been in her room and then someone just comes in her room and starts to Twice. dance on her? Twice! Twice. And Once, this is like, only episode seven! My... my She's like, why, why do they have a lot? They need to get psychologists on, on the ship. Like, We had a psychologist, remember? She fell in love with the godlike being. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot yeah. about that. The walking freezer unit, Dr. Denner. Oh, ESP. Yes, the ESP test. <laughs> only Janice's ESP scores have been particularly high. <laughs> you know who's are? Charlie's. <laughs> so, because Janice warns them by activating the communication. So Kirk and Spock rush into Janice's quarters to stop Charlie from being handsy with Janice. But uh, he whips him against the wall and breaks Spock's legs. He hits the wall so hard he leaves a dent in it. You can see it in the shot. Which Spock doesn't really react to all that much. He broke my leg. (laughs) I think Spock behaves perfectly in character because would a Vulcan be so undignified as to cry out in pain when his legs were broken? True. Yeah, but he would show his pain. Uh, Who knows? Spock is still showing his personality. I don't know. I feel like Kirk Kirk is being a little off in this episode, but everybody else is being on. But again, it's worth pointing out that a large number of the cast are not in this episode. Scotty's not in it. Sulu's not in it. Um, Nurse Chapel's not in it. Riley's not in it. Riley's not in it. Lieutenant Farrow's not in it. He's still got one more appearance. It's not this episode, thank goodness. (laughs) For all you Farrow fanboys out there. He you only know, does quality you know, episodes like Mud's Women. You know who else is not in this episode that we absolutely needed? When you have a villain, you need to bring in another villain. That's what Godzilla taught me. Who do we we need? needed Mitchell. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I would like to have seen Gary Mitchell throw down with the Charlie. The Clash of the Titans! <laughs> this Monday! If you Star Trek novelists, I want you to write that story out there right now. Send us your best <laughs> Gary Mitchell versus Charlie Evans fan fiction. I want it on my desk on Monday. Come on, folks. If I want that battle written, of the century. I might actually read it, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, we could do a special. We could do a review of the book. Ooh, be better than this episode. <laughs> my goodness, would it ever? Um, but then the saddest part of the episode happens. Because Janice has had enough of Charlie. He says he loves her. She says, you don't know what that is. And she slaps him in the freaking face. Deleted. And then he deletes Janice. And we all went, no, Janice! But... On the technical side of things, hers is just a 
Yeah, um, like an actual thing. It's like an actual, actual, like, there's a scene transition, like, they go from one um, clip of film to the next. It's like, she's there one, she's not there the other, which is different. And Charlie goes, so weird. Why'd you make me do that, Kirk? I loved Janice. And Kirk goes, no, you didn't. Because <laughs> Kirk has realized that Charlie needs him alive, and he's taken advantage of that. Because Charlie's kind of stopped. Yeah. For the most of the episode, Charlie backs down when Kirk gets in his yeah, face. Now it's but now no. it's more like, I just need you to run the ship because I don't know what I'm doing. And he says if you don't, a lot of people are going to disappear. Which, which actually, this is where like the logic comes kind of back into the episode a little bit. You know? Yeah. They tried to hide him. They, Kirk and Spock try to, because Charlie fixes Kirk's, Charlie fixes Spock's legs because Kirk's like, you need me to run the ship and I need him. And... They try to trap him in a force field. Charlie just deletes the wall. Yep. Goes back to the bridge. Maybe this is when he goes on his rampage. Yeah, this is when he goes on right. his rampage. I, I just took my right. notes. This is it. He goes um, on his rampage. Um, folks, he goes on a terrible rampage. Tina gets turned into a lizard. It's very sad. A lady gets her face disappeared. It's horrible. They are back on the bridge, not Charlie. No, Tina, Tina's turned into a lizard earlier. You're right. Right before he goes, she goes... See, Tina got is... turned into a lizard, folks! <laughs> okay, I'm just going to correct our timeline because we're a little off. Just to set it up, before he goes to Janice's room, that's where he does his singular thing, Tina to the lizard. Then to go to Janice, Janice, and and that whole scene plays out. And then once he sort of keeps gets the crew as his hostages to make him do what yeah. he wants, After he, he sort of gets a little bit of freedom yes, after deleting yes, the wall. Yes. And that's when he goes around, he does the woman's age, he does the people's faces. And, yeah, this this episode just melted our brains. Yeah, <laughs> and it's so hard to put together because you... You normally use like people's character arc in an episode yeah. to help you keep track of what's going on. But, there's no but Charlie arc. has no character arc. He's all, one minute you thinking, oh Charlie, maybe you're gonna turn your life around, and the next it's like, oh, yeah, I am and, the that, devil. and that's that switch where he turns into his obsession with Janice, and it's it's this yeah, focus shifts yeah. from like socially awkward guy to sexually obsessed crazy man. And then after that, there's no character arc. He's yeah, just yeah. evil, and and so you can't until right at the very end when we're supposed to feel sad. But yeah, we'll get there because that reason. that to me might be the nail in the coffin of the whole episode, yeah. folks. So Kirk and Spock and crew are back on the bridge, and they're like, "Man, Charlie didn't blink me out last time when he had to. I think it's because his powers tapped." Makes sense. A little, as Bailey said, a little bit of logic returns to the episode. They get Charlie onto the bridge. He sits in Kirk's chair, and Kirk has this great line: "Was like, get out of my chair, get out of it right now." And Charlie's like, "I could kill you." Kirk's like, "No, you can't." Maybe you need to control the ship, but you don't have enough power for that. Spock, McCoy, turn everything on! This was a good idea. Yeah. Spock liked this. Spock and McCoy run around the... Well, you think the episode might be salvaged uh, by this delightful little scene, because then Kirk attacks <laughs> attacks Charlie when he's distracted, throws him across the room. Charlie tries to, like, Sith Lord choke Kirk and starts torturing his body, but Kirk fights through the pain. He grabs Charlie by the collar. He's got his fist back. Kirk is going to punch a 17-year-old boy right in the face. And I was going to cheer. Knuckle. Yeah. Me too. I mean, nobody cried when Joffrey died on Game of Thrones, folks, and he was younger than Charlie. So <laughs> I can't care about around. Joffrey than I do about Charlie. Hey, man, Joffrey at least had an arc. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Ahura has been receiving strange comm signals. Uh, Charlie freaks out. Freaks out. We got our Deus Ex Machina solution. Which, of course, is the worst kind of solution, but at this point, who gives a flying fart? <laughs> uh, the Thassian shows up. He's a floating head that's like kind of terribly edited in. Yeah. Even, even in... Folks, I sing the praise of the remaster, and I'm going to assume they just couldn't do anything here because it looks terrible. He's a bald guy. He's a green floating head. Who cares? It's the Thassians, and he's like, Charlie. And the kid doesn't want to go home. Who cares? Nobody wants him around. The kid... Because they're like, yeah. hey, guys, we taught Charlie the power of God to survive... Oops, uh, didn't work. We're sorry. They're like, we're sorry we got out. I tried to undo everything. Couldn't fix the crew of the Antares. But hey, Janice gets beamed back, and we 
hope that Tina got turned back into a yeah. regular cell. Yeah, because he did say everything He did say everything goes back to normal. So a little bit of that Deus Ex Machina, but and Charlie's like, "Oh, you and guys are my is, friends, right?" This is the thing that, to me, really put the nail in the coffin, and this is going to be where I'm going to have to really decide how my vote goes because it feels to me like they're tr- they're trying to sell Charlie is ultimately sympathetic because Kirk is like, "Well, do you have to take him back? Like, could we teach him not to use evil?" And yeah. the alien dad is like, "No, it doesn't work like that." Which, to be fair. It's smart. It, to be fair, that guy at least is written well because he's like, no, once he's got this power, he's never going to not have it. And he's like, we're going to beam Charlie back with us. And Charlie's, and Kirk is like, okay. So I guess not ultimately, because like, Charlie's like, I don't want to go. They can't love me. They're intangible. I don't want to be alone. You're my friends, right? And nobody comes to him. McCoy actually like protectively puts his arm around Janice, which is... <laughs> A really nice little McCoy yeah, type touch because McCoy's like this, someone's this, comforting. Her, yeah, thankfully somebody cares about Seriously. Janice. I'm glad you're there, McCoy. You really are the heart of the Enterprise. Because <laughs> every time Janice comes to Kirk with a legitimate complaint, he just gaslights her. <laughs> anyway, Charlie gets blinked out of existence, and we typically in these episodes we at least have a final scene with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. <laughs> but we no. don't even have that. The episode just ends. They're ready to be done. We're ready to be done. And it's like, I, normally, folks, I hate a Deus Ex Machina ending. I'm just glad it's here. Now, it brought if, relief. And I'm going to say this. For every complaint I've said about Charlie X, this episode moved well. <laughs> we were done before we knew it. It's not because, like, the Naked Time, which is paced well, where it grips, or Corbamite, which is paced well because of time tension. You're just like, what terrible decision is going to happen it's not next? Even, it's not even that this was paced well. It didn't have pace. It didn't have but story. It, I, I watched all the way through. Yep. I, I never checked my watch That's once. True. I did. A lot. <laughs> so uh, I, not, checked my watch on, I checked my there. watch on Mud's Women. I did not check my watch on this. And yet I would rather watch Mud's Women three times in a row than watch this pile of garbage. So folks... This is the time where we rate our episodes on an A to F scale. That's how we like to do it, just to give kind of a quick bit summary of what we thought. We're going to go down the line. Uh, Ethan? I'm going to break the rules, and I'm going to give it an E. Because it's an <laughs> F, but you could pay me to watch it. And that's about it. I've, I've, I've destroyed our system we agreed upon earlier. You, you can't do that. Come on. Just bump it up to the F and dessert. No, it's going to be an E, for I'm the contrary. <laughs> I swear we're going to have a unanimous vote for once. I know, I know, and I'm a bad man, but... I'm Why not... does this episode get an E and not an F? Because you could pay me to watch it. But couldn't it I... Oh, it fails. By that logic, couldn't I pay you to watch an F? No. I, do, I don't understand that. Really? Because it... is, if, an e is, if an E is worse than an F, oh, and not. I could pay you to watch an E, why would... Oh, right, E comes before F. Yeah, that's an alphabet fail, my friends. It's not my fault that they don't use E's in the grade system. It's weird. It really is weird, which is why I'm bringing my own personal flavor to this. It's an E because it, but is, sub- it is an F that you could pay me to watch, but it doesn't mean it's not a failure. But isn't Sub Rosa like an F, but like I would watch it? No. It's hilarious. No, there's there's a few that are, uh, as far as I Ethan's know. Ethan's going to be a contrarian, but we're just going to pretend he said F. Yeah, you can do that. Ethan you can do that. Ethan says F. Why? Um, Because... I originally gave it a D plus, and then I realized that all the things that I initially thought were good were like flukes, and everything that was intentional about this episode was as bad as it could be. All of the conscious decisions that were made in creating the narrative of this episode and designing the characters were bad decisions, and all of the things that could have happened with Charlie to make it a decent episode were just breezed over or missed or given too little time, and fundamentally, I think that there is some bit of cringe factor in here. Does it, does it matter? 
that that was part of the decision, it should. But I, I, I can't put myself in that frame of mind for long enough to watch the full episode and enjoy it. Um, you could, do I do I get that? Do I readily admit that yes, this is what would happen to someone abandoned for all these time and given godlike powers? Does it technically play out? Yes, but does it make it a good episode of Star Trek? Love of God, no. This is this is the worst I've seen so far. So Ethan, you could pay him to watch it, but that's about it. So Bailey, what rating on an eight F scale are you going to give Charlie X? You going to line up with Ethan and say F slash E as well? Given this roller coaster ride. Um, which I actually drew a roller coaster when we watched this did, on I'm, my sheet. It's right there. I am definitely going to give this an F for oof. <laughs> um, why, <laughs> Lord? Why is this episode an F? Let's start. It's all over the place with its its theme and their their concepts. And oh my goodness gracious! <clears throat> if someone, I I will put this challenge out there. If someone watches us and decides to edit this episode to make it a sci-fi horror i would love that 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 would change it completely and that would bring it wouldn't even be balance. hard folks yeah exactly so yeah that's i totally i have nothing else to say it's just yeah awful. folks i will readily admit that when it comes to the original scare series my glasses are a little red and they're a little rose colored i was probably too generous with mud's women and Ethan may have raised some fair points about how I felt about the man trap and Naked Time as being maybe better. I do stand by those decisions. Yep. Folks, no amount of rose-colored glasses is going to change how I feel about Charlie X. <laughs> I am going to set a new record for myself on this show for the first time, and I'm going to draw my first F2, making this the first unanimous the first unanimous vote across the board. A bit, bit of trivia for the folks out there. At the very beginning of this episode, I asked Alec what he thought he might end up giving this episode. He's like, yeah, maybe somewhere in the season. Because I thought it would be totally forgettable. <laughs> yeah. On average. Folks, this episode is, is terrible. The pacing <laughs> is bizarre. It all takes place on the Enterprise. So you don't even get a cool planet to look at. Sulu's not in it, so like half the crew are missing. Kirk is weirdly out of character in some scenes. He doesn't feel consistent. You mean, you have a few decent Spock bits. You've got some decent Janus bits. But it's not salvaged. This is a tonal mess. Some scenes, even in the middle, are about people dying, and then turkeys. This is supposed to be a horror, but then it's not. The effects are terrible. Charlie looks like he's taking a dump every time he uses his evil powers. <laughs> Tina gets turned into a lizard for, like, no reason, and it, that just makes me Poor sad. Tina. I don't like anything. Of the, I, that's not true. But the things I like about this episode are YouTube clips. So, like, folks, if you're one of those people who is, like, you like Star Trek, but you can't quite bring yourself to watch every episode of the original series... Skip this one. Go on YouTube and Google Ahura sings a song about how Spock is Satan. Watch that one scene, because that scene is great. We all liked it. And then just skip this one. Charlie X is a total stinker. But hey, congratulations, Charlie, because you were the first episode to get a unanimous vote out of the Boldly Going Crew. So well done. F, the first F. You'll go down in history as the turd you are. Unless you pay me. Now, folks, we may have hit a terrible turd in the middle of this road. But next week we come back for Balance of Terror, a legitimate masterpiece. Maybe the best episode of the original series of all time. And that's not just my opinion. That's the opinion of a lot of people out there. Folks, that episode is a masterpiece. So I know this week was rough, even if it was kind of fun to rip apart such a terrible episode. I'm not going to lie. But stick with us for Balance of Terror. Until then, have a good week. I'm glad you all survived. Charlie S. Cheerio.